Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our annual Missions Sunday day. And uh, before I invite uh, Pastor Phil up, I just wanted to encourage you after the teaching is over with to go make all our different ministries that are local to us here that are out represented on the patio. Please make them feel incredibly loved and supported and encouraged uh, after the service. Just go listen to their story here Uh, how they got into whatever ministry they're leading and conducting. And uh, just encourage them, uh, make that contact. They're not going to sign you up for a life of volunteering or anything like that right there on the spot. I mean, that's their end game. That's what they're trying to get at. But uh, it'll just be great to connect with them. Uh, I'm sorry to all of you who uh, lost your power this last week. I can totally relate because at our house, we lost the internet for a day. And uh, yeah, it was really hard. And so I feel you guys have been praying for you. (laughs) But uh, hopefully your power's all coming back on. Uh, Today, like Ann said on the video, we have uh, Pastor Phil Metzger sharing with us. And uh, Phil and his wife, Joy, are just amazing people. I talked to you a little bit about them Last week, I've gotten to do a little bit of ministry with them over the years, going to Hungary a couple of times while they were still there, and also serving the Lord and ministering to some small Calvaries in uh, Scandinavia, mostly in Sweden, but some Scandinavian churches that gathered together who asked us, along with the Metzgers, to come and minister to them. So we got really close with them during a a couple of those uh, ministry experiences. But as I said last Last week, the Metzgers, when they were just in their late teens and early 20s, moved to Hungary and served the Lord for over two decades there and watched God do amazing and wonderful things. And now uh, they're back stateside. Phil is the pastor of Calvary San Diego and has pastored the church there for five years. And they really have a heart and are helping their church turn towards being a mission and missions oriented congregation. And I think they're seeing God do some of those things. And Phil is going to take a little bit of that today and coach us up in that general direction. So I think you're really going to like this message. It felt to me in the first service like Coach Phil up here, uh, helping us have the right mentality and perspective for the days in which we're heading into. Some of you were here this last Wednesday night for our agape night and our prayer meeting where we spent some time praying for revival. And I think some of the things that we want to see God do um, The things Phil's going to share today are important ingredients to seeing God do some of those things. So would you welcome Pastor Phil Metzger this morning? I told him I got to be good this service, so I'm a lot of pressure. Good morning or afternoon. I don't know. It's 1130. Good day. And I hope you guys are doing good. Yeah. um, What a weekend to be up here. It's exciting up here. We don't, we don't get this excitement in San Diego. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'm excited to get to share with you. Yeah, I want to start by just giving a little of our story, and then um, we're going to get into the scriptures. I'm actually going to look at the most simple uh, passage 
relating to missions that if you've ever been around anything mission related, you've heard it. It's called the Great Commission. So if you got a Bible, I'm going to be in Matthew 28. But uh, before I get to that, I'll share a little bit about our story. Joy and I were high, high school sweethearts. And then after we graduated from high school, we, um, I spent time in Russia. And then after that, we moved together with a one-year-old baby to our baby to uh, Hungary in 1998. And we had we have four kids, so this is, this, this is our whole crew right here. Um, we have four kids, and uh, three of our kids are married now. So we have two great son-in-laws and an amazing daughter-in-law, and two grand buddies so far. And um, two grand buddies, this is a bit older, they're a little bit bigger now. And our daughter um, with the five-year-old grandson is also pregnant with our first granddaughter. So we're very excited about buying dresses and, and cute things like that. We can't wait. So, um, or I can, but my wife can't. So uh, we're excited about that. And when, but when we went over, we went over uh, to church plant in Hungary uh, yeah, I was 21, she was 19, I was 22, and she was 19, and um, we were really seasoned and well-educated and prepared, just kidding. Uh, we were children, we were babies ourselves, and we went over to, let's just go see what the Lord's going to do, and in the 20 years we were there, we were, I mean, there was a major just move of God in that, in that country and in several of the Eastern European countries, and um, today there's 26 of our churches in Hungary. There's 23 in Ukraine, several across Romania. And I mean, in total, in the former Soviet Union in the Eastern European sector, there's like 61 or 62 churches now um, in that time frame. So God's just done a really, really cool, cool work. And, and about five years ago, we were, we were praying. Um, each year is kind of like a new year, like what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be a part of? And we, we really uh, loved our life there. Our kids were like really in the zone. They all went to um, the school there. And then two of, our, two of our kids were living in America, going to college. But our, um, our, our, the, the younger two were really plugged in in, in life. And, um, but we really sensed that it was time to move and to let the national leaders take it and lead and do great things. And uh, that was five years ago. We moved to San Diego. Um, and of course, everybody's like, you know, oh, like, you know, oh, what a hard place that God called you to move to. <laughs> you know, you had to move to San Diego. How rough. And, and it's true. Best weather. Beautiful. We love it. Amazing place. But leaving like our life was very hard. And um, as, like the weather was not hard to leave. But uh, your friends and your family and, and the people that you know, raised you in essence and, and were a part of our kids' lives. That was a hard thing, but we've really seen and sensed God's um, work now where we are in, uh, in San Diego. And we're, we're glad to be with you guys. Oh, we love, man, the Holdridges are amazing. We love those guys so much. And um, I'm sorry for you. He has this great voice. It's like, he says, hi, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? And uh, it's like, so, oh. So I got a scratchy, annoying voice, so apologies, because I want to listen. I'm going to, like, when AI gets better, my voice will sound like Nate. That's what's going to happen. That's my, that's my future. Um, if you have a Bible, I want to be in Matthew 28. So Matthew 28, the most cliche 
typical mission passage of them all. I hope to kind of flip the script a little bit and give you a little bit deeper sense and maybe give it a, a refreshment to you. I want to, um, I'm going to give a couple definitions. I'm a big definition guy. I think words matter, making sure we know what the words mean really matters. So the two words that I want to define are the word mission and missions. These are not the same thing. Mission is the overarching purpose of God in the world to bring his good news. It's the big picture of what God's trying to do to help you and I to know him. He's doing that all over the world. It's his mission. Missions, plural, is our activities within his mission. So it's the trips we go on, the money we raise to support a a, a missionary, whatever it might be. Missions is the action. It's the activity. Mission is the big overarching purpose of God. And So when you hear me talking, I know it'll sound like bad grammar, but it's mission that we're a part of. And then missions is what we go and we do. And I want to highlight that to you. And I'm going to take time in the message this morning to do that is to differentiate between the things that we do and the people God wants us to be. Okay, the great commission, and we'll read it in just a minute for many, I would even say for most is seen as a a call to action. I want you to think of it like this. It's not a call necessarily to action alone. It is first a call to being. Who am I going to let God make me? And then now, what does that look like in the world that I live in? When we make our goal missions, it becomes it gets, there's a diluted message. And here's, the, here's how it gets diluted. We take away from this big thing that God wants. God wants his heart known throughout the whole world. And we, we bring it down to this idea of I just go somewhere, say some words, paint a church, paint an orphanage, love kids, help people, and then I did missions. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Do all of those things. But keep in mind that there's something bigger that's happening. And that is this big mission of God to make his heart known to every single person. That they are loved and that Jesus died for them. And that they have a place in the kingdom of God. I want to read Matthew 28 verses 18, 19, and 20. Jesus came and he spoke and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You know, I'd love to, and I've, I've done it in other, other spaces, but as I was thinking of coming, I was like, oh, you know, it's fun to like take obscure passages and show the heart of God and the mission of God. You know, it's so fun. But I kept coming back to this one. I'm like, oh, this one's boring. You know, I'm not supposed to say that. But I, I oh, everybody knows that. It's like teaching John 3.16. You're not going to add anything to it. <laughs> it's just good already. And this is kind of one of those. Jesus makes it very clear here what he's calling us into. And yet, I kept coming back to this over and over and thinking, these two thoughts that I want you to have as we talk about this passage the rest of the morning, and it's this. It's that in this passage, God makes these two really important promises. He promises to empower you, and he promises to be present with you. 
When you are a part of his mission, God promises his power in your life. And not only that, but he promises to be present with you. And we'll talk about why both of those things are important as we, as we get into this passage. I have heard this passage taught so many times. I mean, I live in the, we live in the mission world, Joy and I, like this, you know, we go to missions, we go to a lot of missions conferences, we hear people talking. I have heard so many teachings on the Great Commission. I've heard it very romanticized. It gets very romantic. And what I mean is, is like this, like it takes on mythical proportions, like as if when Jesus was speaking these words, there was like a cool synthesizer in the background hyping them up, you know, and everybody's getting inspired. It was like Rudy, if you remember the movie, like, it was like this inspiring moment, be all that you can be, you can do it. And these guys and girls are like, yeah, we got this. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if you read it at face value, what Jesus said to the disciples should have been completely shocking. I want to talk about that in a minute, but then I want to answer, why wasn't it shocking? Why were they not all shocked? I want you to think about this. Imagine, here's Jesus, who they now have experienced in their life in a whole new way. They knew he was, you know, master and, and rabbi and prophetic and did miracles and... Now he rose from the dead. There, all those doubts about, is he the Messiah, are gone. He is the living God who was beaten, crucified, buried, and rose again. And now he's here and he's saying, I want you to carry on my mission. Now, if, you don't, if that doesn't scare you, something's wrong. Because in your mind, you would be thinking something like this. You want me to do what got you beaten, crucified, buried. Yeah, you resurrected, but I feel like you're different. <laughs> so this would have been a shocking message. And I think in sometimes we almost like connect this to when Jesus was like ascending into heaven. So there he is, he's ascending and he's finally telling them, by the way, <laughs> I want you to go to the whole world. And his voice is getting softer as he's disappearing. And they're all like, what did he say? Did he just say, go to the world? This is not what happened. In fact, if you read on after Matthew 28 and you get into the book of Acts, the beginning, none of them were shocked. Why not? Why weren't they absolutely shocked at the words of Jesus? Let me make this suggestion to you. It's really not much of a suggestion. It's just, it's the reality they already knew this. This was not new information. Now, we read it here in Matthew as new information, but these guys and gals already got that. In fact, as they read through the Old Testament, it began to make more sense than ever before. Ah, this is why the nation was to be a light to all nations. Everything started clicking. It wasn't like Jesus at the very last minute you ever had a meeting with somebody and they, they, they drop the bomb at the, as they're on their way out the door? Oh, I just got one more thing I need to say. And you go, oh boy, here we go. Could you? And Jesus is about to leave and he goes, one more thing. I want you to all carry on what I was doing and that got me killed. Keep doing it. God bless you. They understood that they were a part of, 
by being followers of him, they were going to be a part of his grand, big, beautiful mission to preach the good news. And so they go out. And when we see the Great Commission as an activity to go do, which is common to our, and I use this phrase when we say Western mind, it doesn't mean America or even just like England. It's just Western, Roman, Greek, the whole mindset. We think this way. It's a part of, it's, it's ingrained into us. It's neither bad or good. It's just the way it is. We hear a call to action and the response is we have to do something. Now, in fact, let me suggest to you, and I'm going to look at this in the scriptures, that when, when most people hear about the Great Commission, like go to the whole world and make disciples of all nations, we have one of two reactions. One of two. When we see it as a thing to do, my suggestion to you is that it's not a thing to do, it's a thing to become. That we are to be People of the mindset that say, as I'm going in my life, I will make disciples of Jesus. It's not the thing I go do somewhere, right? And this is a huge problem. We, we ran a college and a missions college for many, many years in Eastern Europe. And we would have, you know, people call us and say, oh, we want to go be a missionary in XYZ. And we would, you know, there's kind of standard questions like, great, that's, that's wonderful. So tell us about your church experience. How are you serving in your church right now? Oh, I'm not serving in my church. They don't really understand me. I'm like, oh, well, I don't understand you anymore either. You know. Well, I tried that. It didn't really work out. I didn't really get along. You know, these, we used to get a lot of those people. And the thought was this, if I go, listen, it doesn't work for me here, but if I go overseas, I will be a totally new and different person. And I always like to tell people, you will. It's called jet lagged. <laughs> you won't be more spiritual. I ain't never met a more spiritual person when they got off a 20-hour flight. Only angry <laughs> and tired and dirty. And like, where's the shower, you know? Um, but yet we have a mindset. If I am going to go do what God tells me to do, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll have it. I'll be good. And so we go on trips. Trips are amazing. Gosh, if you've never gone on an outreach trip in your life, please do it. Seriously. I know we're not making pitches. I got nothing to sign you up for either. But do it. And let me tell you why. It'll change you. You might do some good but I know that you'll be changed. To go somewhere where, and, and, and listen, if you speak a second language, go somewhere where you don't speak it. It's so good to do that. It's so good to go somewhere where you don't, the food is not like what you're used to eating. The smells are different. Usually not pleasant. Because you're used to certain smells. And then you'll hear people talking and you'll be, you'll, the whole time you'll be like, what are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? What are they saying? And then you'll hear them, they'll lead worship and they'll sing in another language. And, and, if, you, and if you're able to, you'll go, oh, I'm meeting God and I have no clue what they're saying. Because they're worshiping the same God that I worship. And the words don't seem to be as relevant as the spirit behind it. There's a funny thing that happens to all of us. And it's, I mean, it's actually, it's a real thing. 
that when we hear people speaking a language that we don't understand, you know what our first assumption is? They're talking about me. What an egocentric thing to think. Isn't that hilarious? I've thought that. I've gone somewhere like, they must be saying something about me. And, and they're probably saying, we don't care about you. <laughs> but there's, and you know why that happens? Fear. Something that is unfamiliar is scary to us. So our human nature says, stay within the realm of what makes you feel safe and comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. Accept that Jesus called you to be people who are allowed to go outside of comfort in order to be his disciples and share his hope. So missions, the activity of going somewhere and doing something, please, please be a part of that. Support it. Get, be invested in that. All the things that you guys already do here at this church already but take this as a mindset more than anything else. And so what happens though, if you take this as a, I got to do something, here's the two responses that are most common. Number one, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get to work. All right, we're going to reach the world. Check. You got Asia, you got Europe. Yeah, I got all of Asia. Good luck with that. I don't even have myself, let alone a continent. You take this, you take this. We're going we're gonna to have you know, this many churches by this time. We're going to save this many people. These are all fine. We have a roll up the sleeve mindset. And let me suggest to you in the Old Testament, let me show you in the Old Testament that there was a man, Moses, who had the same mindset. He started with the exact same mindset. In fact, Stephen, who was giving his, he was kind of a defense of his life, was looking back at the Old Testament, and he said these words about Moses, and I'll give context in a minute. He said, Moses supposed his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses was a Hebrew who had been spared and grew up in the royal family. He believed he was the perfect person to bring deliverance to the Jews. And let's take it at face value. He was the perfect person. He grew up in the, in the, in the context of, of Egypt. He understood the way they thought. He had connections. He was networked into the royal family. But then he also shared this blood lineage with the Jewish people. Perfect person. And he supposed everybody understood that. So when he saw an Egyptian and a Jew fighting and he killed the Egyptian... He thought that the Jews would be like, here's our savior. And he thought that he would have some flexibility and leeway within the Egyptian system because he's a part of the royal family. And what he discovered was that both pushed him out. Pharaoh wanted, was like done with him. And the Jews were like, you just made our lives way harder. Thanks, savior. You're great. You're an awesome deliverer. We were doing this much work. Now we're doing even more. He supposed they would understand. He rolled up his sleeves and he got to work. And you can commend him and say, wow, good job, way to try. The thing is, is that if, if Jesus has already promised you his power, to operate in your own power is a denial of his power. You can't operate in both. It's not a little of you and a little of God. It's got to be our surrender and all of God. And that doesn't mean you do nothing. It certainly doesn't mean you do nothing. 
You don't just sit back and, oh, just, you know, that's that kind of falsely humble. Oh, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Say, no, no, you can do stuff. It's when you believe that your abilities, your intellect, your passion, your, your power could accomplish God's work, you're going to be very disappointed. In fact, one author, his name is Major Ian Thomas. He wrote a great book called The Saving Life of Christ. He said this about Moses. When Moses tried to tackle the job that he believed God called him to, he could not even bury one Egyptian successfully. Maybe he left some of his toes sticking out of the sand. When God tackled the job, he buried the entire lot of them in the Red Sea. That's how competent God is to deal with his own business. Moses went from thinking he was a missionary to his people to being a murderer on the, on the, on the run. And so he took this mindset, I just can roll up my sleeves, I can make it happen. And again, so much of our lives, and this is not a, a put down in any way, this is to say, we have to acknowledge this. So much of our lives, that's, that's the reality. We have to be creative and ingenious and work a little bit harder. Okay, you take on that side hustle, you, you do a little bit more, you work a little harder, and you can make it happen. And that's commendable and good. But that same mind can't then be applied into the work of God and the mission of God. Because you see, what God's trying to do isn't something that can be fixed with a side hustle. This is the eternal state of humanity that's at stake. It's going to take more than a roll-up-the-sleeves mentality. It's interesting because what did Moses do? He, he escapes and he runs to the desert. And Moses then took up this guy is a pendulum swinger. He started by rolling up his sleeves. Bad, bad choice. And then he did the exact opposite. He throws up his hands and he says, I can't do anything. That's the other thing. When people hear the Great Commission, go to the whole world and make disciples. We're like, um, anybody seen how big the world is? Are you guys joking? How are we going to do this? And look at how small and weak and fractured we are as a, as a church we can't even agree with ourselves. We're going to reach. And in all of that wonkiness, God is glorified through our surrender to his purposes. Moses, many years later, 40 years later now, God comes to him and he says, it's time. Moses is like, time for what? I'm retired. Now I want you to go. And Moses has the opposite reaction. Now instead of rolling up the sleeves, he's throwing up his hands and he's saying, God, I can't do that. I can't speak good anymore. I, I, I am not qualified. Get somebody else. And what does the Lord say to him? He says, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. <laughs> Sorry, wrong Moses. Now what does God say to him? I made you. I know exactly who you are. I knew who you were 40 years ago. I know who you are right now. And now's your time. Now's the time that I want to do a great work in and through you. And it is no coincidence that at the very end, you know, later on when Moses would be the deliverer and, and arguably just see some of the greatest things that the world has ever seen accomplished by God. He would write about himself something that very few people could write, that he's the most humble man on the earth. He went from being arguably one of the most arrogant. And then he flipped to this like false humility. I can't do anything. And I call that false humility, and let me explain why. 
You see, rolling up your sleeve says, me and God, we got this. The answer is, God's got this. But throwing up our hands and saying, I can't do anything at all. You know what we're really saying? I don't believe God could work through me because I'm limited. And we want to be so careful in our homes, in our community, in our workplace, that we don't put our limitations on God. I'm not, there's so many areas it's like, man, there's got to be somebody better to do this. There's got to be somebody better. And I'd love to make myself feel better and just be like, no, there's not. God's called you. The truth is, is if I just want to be really honest, there's a million people that'll be better at it. But God put me there. And God's put you where you're at. And if that's the case with your kids, with your spouse, with your extended family, in your workplace, in your community, in this state, in this country, at this time, it's not a mistake. Did you know that? Your position, your place in the big scheme of humanity is not a mistake. It's designed. And God can still and wants to use you. All authority has been given to Jesus. He has power to speak words you, that you wouldn't know how to do it, but he could do that. Not only that, but the second promise that I so love and so appreciate and I'm so thankful for, wherever you go, he is. And I know we can say cute things like, when you go to the grocery store, it's like, yeah, we we all figured that out. Right now, there's good potential that God's giving a dream to some Muslim man in Saudi Arabia about himself. I spent some time in the West Bank at a, doing a pastor's conference. I can't tell you how many, how many men and women would tell me that story. Never heard of, never, never heard of Jesus, but he sent me a dream. I'm like, really? And just really credible, reliable, just like you guys. Why would I not believe you? Right now, God's reaching into hearts that you and I could never get to. So when we step into those places, he's already there. And I think that the, 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 the moral of that is this. He really does love the whole world. And he wants to reach people. You know, when we were first going over, I went to, um, I got saved in my like junior, junior, senior year of high school, right in between those two. And it was very massively influenced right away with the idea of the Soviet Union. And, you know, I grew up when Rocky IV was huge. You guys remember Rocky IV? Some of you? You're all too spiritual? Thank you. Okay, there's a few of you that, like, Drago? I mean, come on, the enemy, right? I I remember watching that and going, whoa. Within, like, six, you know, within that year, I'm living in Moscow. I was like, what is happening? And they were actually playing Rocky IV in one of the theaters. I should have gone. We didn't have iPhones or, you know... I should have taken pictures. It was amazing. Uh, so, so I was deeply influenced by the idea that there is a place that my whole life I grew up hiding under desks for fear of them bombing us. And, you know, this place. And, the, you know, the big ism of my generation, communism. 
And, oh, we could never get there. And in my lifetime, from the time I first became an adult to right now, legally an adult to right now, it completely changed. Now there's thousands and tens of thousands of people across the Soviet, the former Soviet Union who know Jesus. And you know what? They were all, there was many of them were already there. There was an amazing underground church of people who went through misery, locals who were imprisoned and sent to gulags. We knew a man who visited our church. He was old at the time. He's for sure with the Lord now. He was, um, who had written Stalin a letter that he needed to repent. He spent 14 years in a Russian gulag. And I'm like, these are the things I read in books, like Fox's Book of Martyrs or whatever. And now I'm meeting these people face to face. We spent more time than, 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 you know, I mean, it was a real privilege, but talking to people who didn't read about the Holocaust, but who lived the Holocaust. And you sit with these people and like, this is their life. And I grew up thinking, this will never, this is the big Satan. It'll never change. Nothing will open up. And then in, in an instant it opened up. Why? Because all authority belongs to Jesus. And when he decides and in his time, there is no ism that can stop him. And so I want you to think about that today. I could tell story after story of our experience in Eastern Europe and the, the mercies of God. But I want you to think today, because right now, listen, right now, we've got so many isms and things of that nature that we are absolutely convinced are just, you know, this is the, it's, it's anti-Christ. It's against the work of God and it is ruining everything. It's easy to see the world in that light. But friends, I just want to remind you, there's nothing more powerful than your God. And your fears and your, oh no, this thing is, this ism is ruining it all. You know, when we, when we got to Hungary, communism was on its way out in, in Hungary. We have friends who, we, one of our very closest friends, she was a freshman in college in Serbia, staunchly communist. And she was in, uh, in a philosophy class and the professor was talking all about the, the glories of communism and how wonderful it is and, and all these things, you know. And then on summer break, she decided, her and her friends went to East Berlin because they could go to East Berlin. She was there when the wall came down. Went back to college, same professor was talking about the evils of communism and the glories of democracy, the new ism, materialism. And guess what happened? That one failed everybody too. All the isms of the world will fall. They'll all bow down to the king. They can't hold up. So what are those ones today? What are those things today that are like, oh, this is the worst. Not, this is the worst thing. This is going to keep people from Christ. Nothing will keep them from Christ. No power, nothing. God is greater. Amen? So we have to walk in that. We have to walk in that. And I want to make a couple suggestions to you about how you and I can walk in the power and the presence. You see, where we go in the name of Jesus and in his mission, there's power. And where we go, his presence is already there. 
this last year, we, in our church in San Diego, we have a, like there's a Christian school in our church and we made the easy, though it might sound funny to say this, but a very easy decision to shut down our high school part of it. We just felt like we weren't reaching high schoolers. We had high schoolers, but we weren't reaching them. They were there, but they weren't there. And instead we said, Lord, give us opportunity to actually reach high school people. You know what happened? We shut it down a month or two later. Start getting calls. Hey, if you guys, so if you want to come on to the high school, local high school, you can. We have a Bible club. You guys are welcome to come and join us. So now our youth pastor, four days a week, is on our public school's Bible club program. He doesn't get to, he doesn't preach. He's not standing on tables shouting and doing all that. You know what he does? He brings pizza. All, dude, if you feed them, they will come. <laughs> he brings the pizza and the kids show up and they talk about Life in God and a, and a student leads. Imagine a student at a public school leads communicating about the heart of Jesus to that school. We could have a high school that we weren't reaching high schoolers. We can go where they are. Why am I saying that? Because, because there were so many other people saying, oh man, our schools, they're lost. They're doomed forever. And our youth pastor is like, dude, you should come with me. Thursday, I'm going to this high school. There's 140 kids that are showing up. And no, we don't have enough pizza for all of them. So it's not pizza alone. God, can, God is present wherever we're willing to go. And I want to suggest something to you. There's going to be places that you're not comfortable to go, that God will call somebody else to. Let me encourage you on what posture you take in that. Are you ready? Cheerleader. Cheer on the people that are being called into places and spaces that is not your comfort zone. Don't be that person that's like, oh, can any, can any good thing come from, you know, this place? When I was first, when we first moved to Hungary, we were doing a lot of street evangelism. And, and we, this, this young man came, he was like kind of loitering. I use that word because that's how it felt. He was just kind of hanging around. And he was not a person I would reach. He, he had like the, like the, you know, leather jacket. He had spiked hair, not a, not a mohawk, but like different, like spikes, in a multiple, in all directions, and he just looked angry. And I looked at him and decided I can't reach that guy. Meanwhile, a guy that had just started coming to our church a week earlier went up and talked to him. Now, here's the story about that guy. That guy's blind. Dude's blind. Dude led worship at our church for a few weeks. He's pretty pretty good on the guitar for not seeing it. Amazing human being, amazing family, one of our favorite people in the world. But he's blind. This guy comes up and he says, hey, uh, you know, what are you guys doing here? My friend, his name is Janos, John, who's blind. He says, oh, we're talking about Jesus. He's sure. Of course, as you know, the only reason I'm telling the story is because it's a good one. He leads the guy to Christ. We don't share bad stories. We're like, ah, there's enough of those. So we tell the good ones, you know. You want to hear bad ones? We'll, we'll complain later together, okay? Uh, uh, I got a bazillion of the stories where it didn't work out. <laughs> this one did. Gives his life to Christ. And I'm watching this interaction, not knowing what's happening. And then, and then um, I see my friend, John Janos. He says, you know, he, he says, um, oh, the, there's the pastor. He's here. You should go talk to him. So this guy comes over and he goes, hey, that blind guy told me I should come and talk to you. That's how we're talking. I'm like, really? Why? What did he tell you? Oh, I became a Christian and you can help me. And, um, and I mean, the guy went on to, I met, there's a 
couple in your church in the first service. He's a Romanian young man. He lived with us at the college that we built there with this young spiky-haired guy who's now living in England and serving the Lord there. Um, I'm glad that Janos, my friend John, didn't see that that was a space that could be dangerous. I'm glad he didn't see that. And I'm so thankful for people who don't see things only the way I see them because they're willing to step into places that maybe I couldn't. I think of our high schoolers. They're reaching into spaces that we won't. And older people, let's cheer them, not revile or make them feel like all is lost, all is not lost. Until, until Jesus, and listen, as long as he's on the throne, all is not lost. We are fine because Jesus is on the throne. So let me make a suggestion on what that can look like. Because I think that this little subtle change in how we see things could help us. And I'm going to use another anecdote to help with that. But let me state the, the, the let me give my kind of thesis and then have you uh, hear an anecdote around it, a story around it. Here it is. We need as Christians to not see issues, but to see people. As long as you and I see issues, and what is an issue? An issue is a Google zoomed out view of something. It's the big picture. And we all want to be big picture thinkers, but the truth is, is nobody's paying us for big picture thinking. I wasn't voted in that way. I wasn't elected for that. I'm a pastor of a little local church. My only calling in life that comes from God to me and to you is to love my neighbor, to see people. And I think that when you and I, and I'm going to explain what that can look like a little bit, when you and I are really hyper-focused on issues, nothing wrong with issues, by the way, but when I see issues, it's easy for me to be harsher than I really should be. I could be more critical than I should be. When I see people, it changes. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I speak. On February 24th of 2022, last year, just a month before now, this new phase of war with Russia invading Ukraine launched. They invaded the whole of the country. And because that was home for us, Hungary, Ukraine, those are neighbors. These are our friends. This is our family. These are people we, we, I mean, like, we love as much as any family we have. And they're on the phone calling, like, and you can hear planes overhead. You can hear the panic and the terror. And so we got on a plane, uh, my wife, Joy, and I, and our daughter, uh, our 17-year-old, Hannah. And because this is our, these are our people. So we flew to Budapest, Hungary just to be present as they were fleeing and just escaping. And, and then as that's happening, a few of us decided, like, we need to go into the country because, you know, nobody's there. It's not like there's groups helping yet because it just happened and nobody knows what to do. And so we said, let, we prayed and we just said, let's go into, let's get into Ukraine. Let's go as far as we can and just start helping. We've got so many people that are in need right now, let's just go help, you know. And so we, we crossed into, we went to as many store, every, every big like store along until we got to there, we just kept loading up our van. Just load is piled, you know. 
And we got to the border between Hungary and Ukraine. And the Hungarian guy, they open up our door. I mean, literally, we're sitting on just like goods. Like we looked like sellers. Like we were, you know. And we had all this stuff. Battery packs, things to charge your phones, things that's the only way to stay in communication. And, and um, this guy's looking at all this stuff. And he goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, it's humanitarian aid. We're just taking it to, to go give. And, and he's like, well, do you have any papers for that? And I'm like, yeah, papers, please. Me and a piece. I, no, I have no papers. And he's looking at me like, you can't do this. And he says, listen, is this stuff really to give away or is this just your personal stuff that you're taking? I'm like, no, I promise I'm giving it away. He goes, you're not understanding me. And he does it again. He's like, look at me. Is this stuff that you're taking to give away or is this your personal stuff that you're allowed to take across? No problem. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, that one. He's like, this guy is a dope, you know, he's so slow. So we, we took it, we, we, we crossed into the country. There's no power, things are out. Everybody's on candlelight, flashlight. And we're like, we gotta buy some more vans because we, we need more stuff. We need to load up with it as much as we can. So we bought a couple white vans and then we went to a local Ukrainian printer, said, can you make us like Red Cross stickers? It's like, for what? For our car? It's like, you wanna put Red Cross stickers on your car? We're like, yeah, they're not here. Nobody's, they're not gonna miss it. Like, they're not here yet. So we bought these white, we had three white vans and we put Red Cross stickers on our vans. And, um, and then just started crisscrossing the country as much as we could to deliver goods and then bring people out. And we did that for that season and came home, came back to say, boy, it's, boy, air travel is a bizarre thing. In 16 hours, you can go from a war to paradise in San Diego. Literally get out of the airport and we're at Coronado Island. I mean, it's arguably one of the most beautiful places. You guys win. Let's not fight. Monterey wins. San Diego's close, okay? Uh, and your mind is like, where, what just happened? Where did I just go? Like, what in the world, you know? A few weeks later, I get a phone call from a friend and he says, hey, do you know there's some Ukrainian people in Tijuana? Are you guys near that? I'm like, dude, yeah, it's five minutes away. We're five miles from Tijuana. And um, they said, yeah, some government official in America just told the Ukrainians, if you can get to the border in Tijuana and you have family in America, we'll let you come across to flee from the war. So we're like, shoot, let's go check it out. So we go down. There's about 100 people down there waiting to get into America. Two, three coming across a day. Started meeting with other people, started providing food there, set up a camp there, set up tents there, started buying stuff, bringing it across came back on our side and we're like, we went to our church staff and we're like, guys, there's like a crisis and people are going to start coming to our building because we told them to come to our building. We said, hey, Calvary San Diego's open. Come on over. So can a couple of you stay tonight? Just sleep here tonight. And, uh, you know, let's go buy, like we went and bought six air mattresses. We're like, yeah, let's just be ready. Well, we, we got there. Those of us that didn't sleep that night there showed up in the morning. It was over 150 people. The two dudes we left, they're like, Bro, six air mattresses, really? <laughs> like, you didn't help us at all. We're like, where did you put them? And we have pews in our, and I hate pews, but I love pews during this. There's people sleeping all over the pews, just sleeping everywhere. And at the height, as things kept going, we would set up a camp with the Mexican government in Tijuana, and our church would be the camp in America. We would be housing in the Tijuana side about 3,500 people. And in the um, 
You guys use, if you're in the ministry here, if you serve in the kids' ministry, you guys use Planning Center? You guys are Planning Center? So Planning Center is like a Christian app that is like a back end of like churches systems, you know? So we check your kids in that way and all. So one of our dudes had the idea, why don't we use Planning Center to register all the Ukrainians so we can keep track of where everybody's at? I can't wait to tell Planning Center, we process 25,303 people through the free part of their app because I ain't paying for that. Uh, Please, people. 25,303 Ukrainians would cross from Tijuana into America and they would come and stay at our church. At the height, we would have 800, 900 people coming through in a given night. And our church, we've been teaching like, hey, let's make this a part of who we are, not what we do. And then we literally had to stand up one Sunday and we're like, hey, remember how we told you to make this about who you are, not what you do? I need you to start doing something now. Now's the do time. Let's get it. I need, what do you need? We need drivers. We need people to house people. We had, we had 150 people in our church housing people every night, week after week after week. And when it stopped, they're like, when do we get more people? I'm like, bro, we're not, we're, not just, we're not just grabbing random people, okay? I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore, you know? 25,303 people, our church discovered it's not what you do, it's got to be who you are. And we discovered something else because we had all these people. People would call us and write us and every news group would show up. Everybody, CNN, everybody, Fox, every, every news, Washington Post, New York Times, everybody showed up at our church. They're like, you know, how big are you guys? We're like, no, we got to be really clear. We're really small. <laughs> how are you guys doing this? Everybody's helping. It's amazing what you can do if everybody just kind of gets involved. And then they start asking the issues questions. What do you guys think about the issues at the border? Now, again, we live at the border, so we're, people are always talking about the border. It's not, new, it's not on the news for us. We hear about it all the time. When I hear there's a massive crisis at the border, we literally drive down and go walk over to see it for ourselves. I hate being told about something that I could go see, you know, five minutes away from my house. And we made a decision that has impacted the way that we do ministry. It's this. We're not talking and focusing about issues. We're just going to love the person in front of us. We're just going to love the person in front of us. I can't solve an issue. Nobody voted for me. And they, they really wouldn't. I wouldn't win. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'd suck as a politician. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that. Okay. <laughs> but you know what? I was called by the king to just love people. And you know what? So many people got saved during that time. In fact, one of my favorites, thank you. One of my favorites was, you know, because it's like really hard to preach the gospel when you're in a van with a mom and her kids who just said goodbye to their husband because he can't leave because he's going to go fight and probably die. It, you don't go, by the way, let me tell you that, you know, you're a sinner and you need to give your life to Jesus. It's just not the words. What's true and what's appropriate are two different things in those moments. And we had people that would get into our vans and they were angry. And you know what? We were too. We were angry. We were angry because we've been living in this part of the world so long, just waiting for it to boil over, knowing it was just a matter of time. And then when it happened, you're just angry that it happened. You're angry that in 2022, this was last year, we, are, we have experienced the largest refugee crisis in history. 
And you know what made us angry? Six years, eight years earlier, excuse me, in Hungary, we had at that time the largest refugee crisis in history with the Syrian refugee crisis as they were crossing over to Germany. And guess what? I had everybody calling me, telling me, oh, what do you think about this issue, 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 issue? And all I could do is tell them, you guys got to understand, man, I spend all day and all night, my wife and I are out there with our church. I know that, that, ain't, that ain't an issue. That's my friend, Mohammed, Mustafa. That's my friend who carried their baby for weeks because they don't trust nobody. And when they saw other women that they could trust, the first time they're handing their kid over, it's a powerful thing. When everybody wants to tell me about issues, I don't have time for issues. Jesus called us to just love people. And if I give my time to loving people, are the issues real? 100%. And if you want to argue those things, get elected. I'll probably vote for you. (laughs) I'm voting for you, as I'm saying. You want that? Go do that. But what I need and what I think the world needs is Christians who will love people. Just that. I had everybody tell me, you know, Hungary built a wall around itself to keep the Syrians out. I I know that because I was one of three last people to cross in between the two countries. I'm not about, I mean, did they do right? Did they do wrong? Nobody paid me to talk about that. But I'll tell you what, you know, we bat, that, that during that season, we baptized 30 Muslim men who gave their lives to Christ. So they all wanted to change their names. They're all, everybody was Muhammad. And, you know, every, and so we were in the, you know, we're in the pool and we're like, the, each one wanted to change their names, you know? And it was like, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They were all like, <laughs> You know, it was like gospel, like crazy. Like, what's your name? Matthew. What, what was your name? Muhammad. And the next guy gets in. What was your name? Muhammad. What's your name? Matthew. I'm like, okay, you guys are original. <laughs> and then one guy gets in the water and he was a beast. And I mean, a beast. Turns out he was a Syrian national wrestler. Gave his life to Christ. Gets in, the, gets in and I'm like, what was your name? I don't know what it was. And I'm like, what's your new name? And I'm waiting for Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And he says, Darko. There's a name in the Bible, Darko <laughs> or Darkon or something like that, the Hungarian. I'm like, where did you get that? He goes, I read it in the Old Testament. It sounded manly. <laughs> I was like, like, bro, I ain't going to argue with you. You can be whoever you want right now. You can still be Muhammad for all I care. I'm a little guy. I won't, I won't fight with you. Those are the stories that matter to me. And you know what? Those guys now are living in, you know, Germany, Sweden, Finland. They're a part of churches. They're reaching refugees. You see, would I rather fight an issue or infiltrate that issue with gospel people? I'm all about, I'm all about infiltrating. And the same happened with Ukraine, and we feel this all the time. You know, well, what about this and what about this? All I'm saying is, when I'm driving a woman who's angry and says, I'm an atheist, but then by the time we get to Budapest and all these conversations, and she says, I think I want to be a Christian now. I'm, that matters more. To me, that's where Jesus would be, don't you think? And so I don't know what it looks like. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to close this up. I don't know what it's going to look like. Listen, you're not on a border, so you don't, you're not going to have that. But Monterey has its things, doesn't it? 
your region, your area. And if you want, you can, listen, if you're looking for things to frustrate you, welcome to California, baby. We got them. We will give you those things, won't we? (laughs) Or let me suggest something to you. See people. Just see people. See the neighbor in front of you. And what is it going to look like? How does it actually look? What's the actual difference between issue versus people? It's really simple. Issues make me talk a lot. People make me listen more. They make me learn more. And so as we finish here, I want you to consider a couple things. Take this mind upon you. Not a thing that you got to go do, but take on the mind that I am going to be about the mission of God. I'm not just going to go do something. I'm going to be about it. My kids need that. My wife needs that. I need that. My workplace needs that. Not just me to do outreach, but to be a person that others know they could reach out to when they're in need. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to walk through those tables with a different look today. Not, oh great, what do they want? But how can I learn? Not, what do they want? But how can I learn? And let's start seeing everybody around us that way. Not, what do they want? But how can I learn so that I could be used by God to bring his good news into their lives? Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the privilege, Lord. True privilege it is to be at Calvary Monterey. A church, you know, that says they want to make Jesus famous. And in the process, Lord, they're, they're famous. They're well known for, for goodness, for kindness. And I pray, Jesus, that you, I just pray you keep doing a sweet, beautiful, amazing work here at Calvary Monterey with people who love you and who want to put people before issues. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.